Hi, I'm Gary Zacharias. I'd like to welcome you to the Apologist Bookshelf. For this podcast, I wanted to look at a book by R.C. Sproul called Now That's a Good Question. Now, keep in mind, it's been around for a while, so uh, you're not going to find brand new material. But that doesn't matter. I think it came out in the late 1990s. But the questions that he deals with are questions that are perennial questions anyway. It's not uh, cutting-edge science, for example. It's got areas on like sin and the sinner, faith and philosophy, the power and purpose of prayer, the growing spiritual life, understanding Satan, heaven and hell, and on and on and on. I thought I would take a section here called Lifestyle Ethics. That's uh, chapter 20. So he has a lot of questions in each chapter, and he answers them in, oh, I don't know, maybe a page, page and a half each, which means uh, a lot of good bite-sized material here, but not uh, deep uh, philosophical or theological uh, discussions. And that's fine. I like this. So here's one of his questions that he's gotten. Why do questions, uh, sorry, why do Christians think they know how other people should live? And I thought that was an interesting comment. And we hear that a lot in our society today. So even though this book is over 20 years old, that is a, a common concern that people have with Christians is somehow they, they're holier than thou. And he said, uh, people hate having religion shoved down their throats. And he says uh, that today people are willing to let me practice my religion, but they don't want me hounding them. And he said, you get this background, of course, of relativism, the view of ethics, the idea that every person has the right to do what's right in his or her own mind, and that that somehow then becomes uh, the way that all of us should be, that we should buy into that. But he says, you know, if God is, if he exists, and if he's the Lord of the human race and the creator, and if, there's another if, if he holds us accountable, then there's going to be an objective standard of what's right in his sight. And so the the whole background, the whole concept of the Judeo-Christian religion is that there is ultimate righteousness, not by our preferences, but by God and his supreme character. So, if we as individuals can understand what God requires, that means we have to do certain things. And he's going to require certain things of us as individuals and as people who are part of a community. So that's the big if, isn't it? So let me go back over that again, because I think that's really important. He says, if there's a God, and of course that's debatable for some people. I think that plenty of evidence points to the existence of God. But that's a huge and important if. If there is a God... And if he's the Lord of the human race, in other words, if he is concerned with the human race, uh, if you're a deist, you don't buy into that. You say God just created everything and then walked away. But they're the first two ifs. If there's a God and if he's the Lord of the human race, if he's our creator, and here's an important one, if he holds us accountable, then there's going to be an objective standard of what's right in his sight. So those ifs, we all have to answer those ifs. And I think it's pretty obvious that those are true. The rest of this little section here on this question, he says, God was, this is talking about Isaiah now, God was sovereign and holy in relationship to him and to everybody else. And he says, you know, for example, God prohibits me from adultery, but he prohibits you from adultery. So we're all in this together. And he says, God's law extends beyond ourselves. He said, that's been recognized by professors and teachers of ethics who are not even part of the Christian faith. He says Immanuel Kant studied that question and talked about what he called the categorical imperative, the idea that everybody has a sense of duty. 
So every human being has some idea of what's right and wrong. And Kant made a statement that was similar to Jesus. So live that the ethical decisions that you make would be good if they are elevated to the level of a universal norm. So no man is an island. And I want to go over that again just real quickly here, that professors and teachers of ethics outside the Christian faith buy into this idea of a law that extends beyond just us, that there's a sense inside all of us of what's right and what's wrong. And I, I remember Greg Kokel saying that when he goes and speaks to a group, he says, I know something about you that you don't think I know. You have a poor self-image. You feel guilty. And he said, you know why you feel guilty? Because you are guilty. We all have a standard of right and wrong built into us. And we know we can't live up to it. We can't even live up to our own standards, which are obviously lower than this other standard that we sense. And he said, we all have an idea of what's right and wrong. And so there's his answer to the first question, that if there's a God and if he created us, then that applies to everybody, not just to us. Here's a second question. I'm just going through several of these because, like I said, they're short and just gives us something to think about. Here's a second one. Same area, lifestyle ethics. Should Christians impose their ethics upon non-Christians? Well, he says, you know, every time there's a moral issue that gets debated, somebody says, wait a minute, you're imposing your morality on me. I don't share your religious perspective. He says, well, he says, talking about ethical authority, the only being in the universe that really does have the right to impose an obligation on any other being is God himself. Only God is the Lord of the human conscience. But we also say that God delegated certain authorities who have the right to impose ethical obligations. For example, parents have the right to impose obligations upon their children. And then we have ordained governments can impose certain standards of law upon their constituents. And so he said, we live in a free society. And that's where the democratic process is functioning. And so the majority of people are given the right to vote. And there we go. That vote is going to involve an exercise of one's will that will become the law of the land if I'm voting with the majority. And I think that's really important to think about. Uh, somebody said, well, you can't legislate morality, but that every law legislates somebody's morality. So in a government like ours, we have the right to get involved in what morality is going to uh, be imposed. He said, there can be a danger, he said, for Christians who have these pet projects that are unique to Christian enterprises, if you use the law and you use law enforcement to get your way, that could be an exercise of tyranny. So that's, that's a good warning, I think, that all of us need to hear. He says Christians should keenly be protective of the First Amendment, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else. So he said, I would be hesitant before imposing uniquely Christian principles upon non-Christians. I think that's a good point. Uh, he says imposing uniquely Christian principles. So something that, uh, for example, if you, uh, this is just me talking at this point, but if you pass a law requiring everybody to attend a certain kind of church and so many times a week, I mean, do you see, now you got a problem there. You're imposing uh, certain specific Christian principles that you buy into and you're putting those upon non-Christians. That doesn't make sense. But there are plenty of, moral issues that we should be voting on and we should be trying to sway a public opinion, whether it's abortion or same-sex marriage and things like that. Okay, so that was the second question. Here's the third one. 
How can we as Christians ascertain when God's word was applicable only to a certain culture and therefore may not be applicable to us today? Good question, huh? So you read uh, parts of the Old Testament and you say, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe that was just to the Jews back then. So how do we know what applies to us today and what was just for the Jews or just for the people in the New Testament time? So he said, here's the key question. Is everything that's set forth in Scripture to be applied to everybody of all time and all cultures? And he says he doesn't know any biblical scholar who would argue that, that everything in the Scripture would apply to all people. I mean, Jesus sent out the 70, told them not to wear shoes. So he said, would evangelists today be disobedient unless they preached in their bare, bare feet? He said, no. That was obviously something that went on in the first century culture. I thought that was a, <laughs> an interesting thing to talk about. Sproul says, when we come to the matter of understanding applying Scripture, there are a couple of problems. First, what's the historical context? We need to know that. We have to go back, try to get into the skins, into the minds, into the languages of the people in that first century world. Uh, when we're talking about the New Testament. We need to know Greek. We need to know Hebrew. How do we reconstruct the original meaning? So that's the first problem. Just what's the context? How do we understand what the Scriptures are saying? The second difficulty says we now live in the 21st century, so words that are used today, um, the words that we use every day are, are shaped by how they're used right now. And there's a sense where we're tethered to this time period. He says we need to study church history so we can see the principles and the precepts that the church has used over the centuries. I think that's a really good point. I mean, I know I'm guilty of not really following church history, and I don't know a lot of things that have happened over the centuries. He says we need a historical perspective. He said we need to study seriously the history of the world and the history of the Christian church and how previous generations have understood the Word of God and how it applies to their lives. He said that way we could see scriptural instruction that church of all ages, uh, church of all ages has understood are not limited to just the hearers right there, but have some kind of principal application down through the ages. So he says we, we've got to be careful. We'd want to uh, relativize or historicize an eternal truth of God. So at the end of his question here, he says, "Here's my rule of thumb: we are to study and try to discern a difference between principle." and custom. But he says, if we have studied it and we can't discern it, he said, I'd rather treat something that may be a first century custom as an eternal principle than to be guilty of taking an eternal principle and treating it as if it's just a first century custom. So he'd rather elaborate and assume that it applies to everybody uh, and, and not make that kind of mistake. How about one more? Uh, let's do one more question. How do we uphold Christian ethics without being judgmental? Oh, man, don't we hear that a lot today? One of the only verses that a non-Christian knows and can toss into Christian's faith is, uh, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. So uh, they, they know that verse about Jesus. So he says one of the principles of Christian ethics is that we're not supposed to have a judgmental spirit. Now, there's a difference between being judgmental and having a judgmental spirit. I mean, after all, again, this is just me talking, but after all, Paul and Jesus and others were judgmental in the New Testament. So if we're judgmental in our attitudes and our spirits, we're already violating a Christian ethic. We're supposed to respond to other people's sins. Well, we're not supposed to whitewash them. We're supposed to demonstrate discernment. We're supposed to recognize the difference between good and evil. 
And he says, just like I did, he says, boy, people know that verse, judge not lest ye be judged. And they say, so therefore, you don't ever have the right to say anything somebody does is wrong. But he says, wait a minute. For a judge in a courtroom to declare an accused person guilty of a crime is not judgmental. So he said, for a Christian to recognize sinful behavior in somebody else, that's not, calling it sinful, that's not judgmental. So what are they talking about in the New Testament? What was Jesus talking about? Well, judgmental in that sense, that's prohibited, is to have an attitude like a Pharisee, condemning people out of hand and consigning them to just utter worthlessness because of their sin without any spirit of patience, lacking any kind of forbearance or kindness or mercy. And, uh, of course, Jesus went on to tell us, uh, we got to notice a speck in our brother's eye, yeah, but we have a log in our own eye many times. So if you go around examining specks, that's a person who has that judgmental spirit that Jesus thought was terrible. So that doesn't mean we're supposed to be loose on sin or call uh, good evil or evil good. Judgmental is an attitude. And he uses that illustration of when the woman was brought before Jesus because she'd been caught in the act of adultery. How did he deal with her? Well, notice he, Jesus didn't say that she wasn't guilty. He didn't explain away her sin. He didn't endure, uh, endorse or encourage her sin. He said to her, go and sin no more. He said, where are the people who condemn you? Well, they'd all departed. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go in peace. So he rebuked her, he admonished her, he corrected her, but he did it gently to heal her, not to crush her spirit. And he uses that reference in the New Testament that it was said of Jesus that he would, he would not break a bruised reed. So it's the judgmental spirit that breaks people who are bruised. None of that should be in the church or among the people of God. Okay, well, I'll stop at that point, but uh, maybe you get a feel for what these questions are like and the kinds of answers that he gives. So this is Sproul's uh, book called, Now That's a Good Question. Again, even though it may be an older book, don't let that uh, discourage you. I think it still has so much to say to us today. Well, thanks. We'll do another podcast soon.